Okay, welcome back to the Giants Among Men podcast. I'm Scott Ishii, and I'm joined once again by Brian Demena. We're back. We are. We're doing it. Back in the New York groove. (laughs) (laughs) After uh, quite a layoff uh, for the two of us and then some individual popbacks here and there, uh, there's just way too much going on in New York sports uh, for us to sort of keep our head in the sand at this point. Uh, New regime for the Giants, new regime for the Knicks. Somehow the Nets have the best basketball team in town. Nobody really knows what's happening with the Jets. Uh, The Yankees are quickly unraveling and the Mets are possibly about to be bought. So we figured it was a good time to broaden our horizons and uh, come back and give the fans just what they want. (laughs) Yeah, it's good to be back. I think the time is right. Um, The world is ending. So this is the right time. (laughs) To sit here and talk about goofy New York sports. Yeah. So with the world ending, I think the right man to uh, lead us through these uncertain times is Joe Judge. Right. But okay. I'm not so sure that's that's been your take on things. So uh, let's hear from you. How do you think uh, the judge's court is, is going so far? Yeah. You know, I don't care that much. Like, I, I, I think your take is going to be that this whole kind of nonsense about his practices and he's got guys running laps and kind of goofy things with names on jerseys or not on jerseys, whatever. Like I I don't like care that much about that stuff. The only thing that is bothering me about the whole Joe judge is the reaction of a lot of people that are sort of like, let's give him a chance. And you know, he's a first year, you know, we got to wait and see and he's doing what he thinks is right. And like, I I just think that's fair on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think like deep skepticism of this guy is like totally justified. And the Giants have been really pretty bad for a long time in a way that they still, I don't think really like acknowledge and have faced in their own hearts that like how long they have actually sucked. Um, and how long this has gone on. So now you're bringing this guy who's like 38 years old. I know he's coming from the Patriots, so there's sort of this built-in like credibility there. But, you know, he's a special teams coach. He does not have this like deep resume. There were other better alternatives. His first move, big move, was bringing in Jason Garrett to run the offense, which just like doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. So like I have no problem with people like seeing these kind of goofy tactics and just their first reaction being like, you know, this is lame and I don't like this guy. And I I just think I totally appreciate deep introductory skepticism of Joe Judge. No, I I, I guess I just, I don't disagree with what you're saying really at all. And I think the the key thing to what you said there is that there seems to be a general lack of acknowledgement within the organization of how bad it's been. I mean, I think, because you see this a lot with Gettleman too, where I'm I'm far more critical of Gettleman than I am of Judge, but um, I I think again there are things that have got with Gettleman that have gone very poorly, but there are things that have gone pretty well too. Or there are some things that I think Gettleman has done that has set us up to be in a, a decent position. And even something like the Marcus Golden thing uh, was a pretty clever move by him, right? And it's sometimes hard to see some of the positive things he's done because he has made some mistakes, but it's also generally his delivery is like what. Why wouldn't you think I'm doing a great job? And, right. Yeah, and I think Judge is the same way with the press. Like, you know, I, I get it. And this is, Judge just annoys me, annoys me more with the press. Because I understand what he's doing. He doesn't want to answer certain questions too directly or, 
you know, what have you. But he also does have this kind of attitude where he'll answer a question where he knows he's not answering the spirit of the question, but he'll kind of do it anyway. And he ends up sounding like a jerk. But I, th- and I do think that's the problem where you're kind of acting like, why wouldn't you trust me? Well, there are plenty of valid reasons not to trust you. So I do think they lack a credibility because they're not really acknowledging just how bad they've been over the last few years. Yeah, I think that's especially true with Gettleman, who does, has that, like, yeah. we know what we're doing, we're professionals, and you're like, you sound like an idiot most of the time. <laughs> and I kind of agree with you, like, he's, you know, when you sort of take the, like, you step back and look at his, like, overall tenure, like, he has totally rebuilt this roster, they have a lot of young players, like, there is the, you know, I can begin to see where, like, this turns into, like, a good team, Um even though I also like, I'm, I'm not so sure how close they actually are to that. And like a lot of these like young, talented players have to actually become good players. But I can sort of see where he has absolutely remade the roster. And like, if this all were to come together, like you, you might look, you might at the end of this season be like, you know, he's actually been doing a pretty good job. But I, I like, I agree with you that he he does he wants to be like he's already there like yeah he he's and he's as though he's built like a million championship teams and you know it's like he had a decent run in carolina he was in the giants organization when they were good but he was not exactly like making decisions so you know he you're like what what resume are you i know you've been in football for a long time but it is not like you have built like multiple contending teams and you have this like um, unimpeachable resume, right? I mean, you don't even have an unimpeachable resume since arriving to the Giants, right? You've made a couple of like disastrous moves, and, yeah. And look, if Daniel Jones turns out to be good, it's all going to be mood, and everybody's going to think you did a great job. But like that was a giant roll of the dice. And look, I like Daniel Jones. I'm very excited about him this year, and like he may have been right. But it was, like, one of the all-time gambles, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even, too, just sort of not explaining why there was some lack of creativity, because I think plenty of people were surprised that Jones got drafted at six. Did you look at a trade? Did you try and move? And, you know, even some of his mistakes getting away from Jones for a second— I mean, the whole Leonard Williams debacle really seems to be chalked up to carelessness. Like, I don't even know how that, that mistake gets made. Right, it's just a sloppy, like, just poor, like, poor decision-making that's really obvious. Right. So getting back to Jones, I mean, I'm sorry, to Judge for a second. I, you know, with I think with that said, I want to make a little bit of a defensive Judge here. Um, you know, kind of acknowledging, I think, his delivery so far, at least with the media and, you know, by extension, the fans, has been pretty terrible. If... You're looking at the quotes. I don't think things are as big a deal as they're sort of getting made out to be. Like the whole running laps thing, because I think, you know, you can make a big deal about it on either side. You could say, we need to treat these guys like men. It's really stupid to have them running laps. And you could also say, you know, what's the big deal? Guys run laps. Who cares? Um, But I think that if you kind of look at it, he assigned five laps in the first three days of practice. So it's not like, you know, we're not resembling a track team out there. You know, it it happens every once in a while. There are other teams that do it. The Dolphins have what they call a TNT wall, a take no talent wall, or takes no talent wall that they have to run to. And they did it throughout the season last year. 
And we had a conversation towards the end of last year how we wished we had a guy like Brian Flores where, you know, even though Miami's not winning, you could tell that they're playing hard. You could tell that they're buying in. And they were 29th in the league in penalties. So it's not like you can't do something like that and make it work as long as you're the right kind of guy. And looking at some of Judge's quotes, if you read the whole thing or you don't just listen to the soundbite, one of the things he says, first off, everything we do has a purpose. We're very intent uh, on explaining to our team why we're doing things the way that we're doing them. So for all we know in the meetings, Judge is like, look, these laps may seem childish, but here's the thing. We have to get into the right mindset. You know, we don't know how he's talking to them. He very well could be addressing them like men, and they feel fine with the whole situation. And they seem to. You know, you're not seeing a lot of whispers or a lot of sources say, you know, this guy's unhappy or that guy's ruffling against it. It's mostly people from the outside who have had the biggest problem with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the way people, the way people look at that, though, is like those things tend to happen quickly. Like if you go 0-3, suddenly running laps is like, get this out of my face. Like you kind of have to, it has to, they have to see the results. I mean, I like, I agree with you. It's just like, you just sort of wish that one of these pay, like Belichick disciples would sort of be like, you know, I'm going to take the, the stuff people want that Belichick does really well is the like, game planning and the way that he is so versatile and that every time the Patriots show up, it might be a totally new offense and new defense. And they never like, you know what I mean? Like the brilliant tactical football, the strategic stuff. And yet it always seems like what you get is this kind of like personality cult kind of crap where, you know, um, his sort of, aloofness with the media and they always seem to try to like imitate that part of it and like the way he's so tough on players and that you know there's it's just like you're either good or you're gone you know there's no uh you know he seems to have no desire to form relationships with these guys like and you always just seem to get that part and like it would be nice to see a pat's coach because they haven't had that much success his assistance like you know go their own way as far and i'm not saying he's not like he i agree with you that he does seem to be like this is who he is this is his personality but it's just like i I don't know you know like to me like the whole like names on the jersey stuff it's not a big deal but it's just also like a huge waste of energy and time like why you know i don't know but does that you're these are professional athletes i don't know does that do anything like it just seems like that's a thing in your brain that maybe you could, if I'm advising you, you could just throw that out of your brain and not even worry about that and worry about like, hey, how am I going to align these guys? What what offensive, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like. Uh, yeah, I totally, I, I get exactly what you're saying. And it's weird because it is also, I think, a very football specific type of thing. Now, you know, because I think, but I do think it works on the other side of it too, where you have a guy like Pete Carroll, who is probably the total opposite of Belichick, at least in the world of the NFL, right? He's like the other side of the spectrum. He's Mr. Fun, Mr. I'm chewing gum like crazy, and yeah. you know, I'm so high energy, so positive, getting the right mindset. And you look at, unless I'm forgetting somebody, I don't know that his assistants have had a ton of success either, right? Like Dan Quinn in Atlanta, I guess they went to a Super Bowl, but I mean, you know, it's not easily replicable like taking these guys that are really awesome at what they do and they're a specific type of guy, like a certain type of coach and their intensity manifests in whatever way it does. With Pete Carroll, it's energy. With Belichick, it's just this insane focus on details. 
And you're kind of falling somewhere in those camps. And you even see it on the college level, right? You have like Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney are probably the two guys. And they're right, very right, different right. in types of their approach and their demeanor. But I, I think what separates Judge, and you heard Mangini talk about this. Eric Mangini talked about how he did try and do a Belichick impersonation when he had different head coaching stops. And that did not work out for him. And he really shouldn't have done it that way. Right. Um, and I could see how that's the case with Patricia. Um, I can see how that would be the case with McDaniels' run in Denver. You know, there just is something. And again, I agree with you. I think who cares where the name on the jersey, like whatever. I don't know who that's motivating or how that's motivating them. But fine. I think that there is an element of judge where none of this is surprising. Like it fits his personality. And I think that ultimately for these guys, the success and the failure if you're true to yourself and you're close to your personality and you're not a phony, people may not like you, but they may still respect you because they don't think you're doing an impersonation of a different coach. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think you're right. I mean, I think he's not straying from who he is. And I do like some of the stuff you hear about, like, the practices. There's a lot of energy. They're, like, high intensity. Um, You know, guys are moving around. Like, that seems to be the type of stuff you want to hear. Like, I feel like that's the atmosphere you want to create. Um, but then, you know, I don't know. It is like the coaches are yelling and like they're cursing at the guys. Like, you know, that does just seem like at the professional level, I don't know. You know, I've been watching, I watched the first episode of this year of hard knocks and it's the chargers and the Rams. So you get to see McVay and, uh, what's the, uh, Anthony Lynn, Anthony Lynn, who I also liked a lot, but both of those guys like are super, intense and they're high energy and they're demanding but it's like it's not that you know it's it's like let's move let's go or you know he's it's just it's excitement like it just seems like why can't you take that that just seems like the better approach for this for professional athletes they are grown men your colleagues ultimately um i don't know but you know, again, I, I agree. I don't think it's like phony, so that's important. But I'm, I'm, I am, I can't shake deep skepticism. No, I, I, I get you. I mean, I will say about the intensity too. Um, one of the things I've read Judge say repeatedly is because there's no preseason games this year, like almost the intensity and the energy of the practices has to be a little bit higher because you don't have those preseason games that, you know, kind of model for you the energy, the intensity to get guys to go. So, you know, the cursing, yeah, the cursing, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to justify it, but the cursing's weird. Why the cursing? That's like a bit of thing. Screaming at players, like, it just seems odd to me when you're a 38, like, it's, it is one thing for a Tom Coughlin who's like a grizzled vet, and I know that he did that forever, but like, he did start in college and then worked his way to the NFL. And then that by that time, that's just who he is. That's his style. You know, like, it just seems weird for, like, a 38-year-old coach to be, like, berating guys. Um, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's not him. You know, maybe it's he, he likes his – he has his assistants do it. Whatever. You know, maybe it's, like, um, he wants that that edge. And, it, and, and I agree with you with, like, the physicality. Like, that is a good point that, like, look, there's not going to be any preseason games. There's no way to have guys ready – unless you do some pretty serious hitting in practice. Like, like how are you going to be ready for week one yeah. without doing that? Like, I, that's, a, that's a totally fair point. Like, and the Corey, the Corey Ballantine, because that was another big story this week, the Corey Ballantine thing where he, 
you know, they thought he was injured in a in a tackling drill that and you know, again, I was surprised with some of the reports you read coming out of practice because a lot of these giant speed writers were like, I, I, you know, Jordan Renan at ESPN said he'd been uh, watching, he'd been covering the Giants since 2013. He'd never seen a tackling drill like that with that kind of physicality. But I mean, I kind of take that as a good thing. Honestly, I know the drill that they're talking about. It's it's guys stand five yards apart. It's a goal line tackling drill, and then you go at each other. And the thing about that drill is. It's not a dangerous drill. I can see why it looks really violent because it's a big collision. But when you think about it, it's, you know, and I think kind of what, what Judge was saying with no preseason games, the, he, he even said in a quote that we're not trying to figure out who the toughest guy in the schoolyard is. And I mean, the thing is, is that when, when you're teaching guys to tackle and things like that, you have to be able to teach them after a violent collision, I have to regain my wits, my balance and my power. And at some point in the teaching process, the only way to do that is to create a violent collision. And I think it's better to do, to create a violent collision or simulate it from five yards away than having guys like 20 yards away in an open field tackling and have just like flying at one another. Right. Um, you know, so five yards is a pretty safe distance. It's not like the old nutcracker Oklahoma drills where you have like a super condensed space and huge linemen and running backs and it's just an ankle and knee nightmare waiting to happen in that scenario it's just one-on-one guys just boom you know you get that contact so again i think it's because a guy at a position that we don't have any depth at and we may not even have any good players at was the one who ended up looking like he was hurt that got everybody so rattled yeah that is true it's like it was just a key position where it was like oh dear like we actually can't use a we can't lose a cornerback right even one that we don't know if he's any good or not yeah exactly (laughs) so i think that caused a lot of like commotion too that was like oh judge what are you doing judge you know but i i don't know i think i i think too like we'll see what happens and and you kind of said this already but if we start out 0-3 We'll see if Judge adjusts. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with a shortened preseason, a new coach taking over an absolutely horrendous team. It's not that unusual to see someone kind of come in and establish discipline. Like, look, I remember reading a story about how uh, Jim Schwartz went into Detroit and really turned things around by instilling discipline and so forth. And Detroit had a little success at the beginning of Schwartz's run, except he stayed like that and then... That's where his downfall kind of came in Detroit. You know, if Judge can adjust, if things are going bad or things are going good, like Flores last year, he had the TNT wall. He had guys running laps, and they started out horrible. But at the end of the year, they won five of their last nine, and everybody loved them. So it's not just necessarily how you're starting out. And I think the way he's starting out is kind of appropriate. It's just a matter of, you know, what's it going to look like in a month, two months, three months, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I think this is actually a good segue because, like, there's um to get into just sort of the giants like outlook because there's some reason for optimism but then like you know what we're just we're just talking about like the nervousness we all felt when it appeared that Corey ballantyne might have been (laughs) injured yeah you know then you're like wait a minute how good are we (laughs) that (laughs) Corey ballantyne who's like a seventh round pick who i've barely heard of and you know, it was like, oh no, right? <laughs> we can't lose him. Why do I? Why do I even care about Corey Baltine at this right. time of the year? Yeah, that felt like a desperate situation. So yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, I just think the defense. 
has me concerned in general. Yeah, I can understand that. So, so where where are your biggest concerns? It's just like they don't have any. There's like there's not a single great player on the Giants' defense, right? Like, there's people who we think maybe could be like I think the most probably potential are, um, that the t- the defensive tackle, um, what Lawrence? What's his Dexter Lawrence? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dexter Lawrence, um, the first round pick last year, like that that he could potentially be a great player, but he's not a great player right now. Like, so I do think it's fair to say there's not. There's not a great player on the Giants defense, right? Yeah. Like No, correct. There is not. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, you know, the hope is this they the, the sum of their parts, you know, that that you put them all together and they can actually be a pretty good defense. But, you know, that's a concerning thing. Like there's not I don't think there's a single Giants defender that scares anybody. Yeah. No, right. Nobody like teams are like we got a game plan around this guy. How are we going to Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's so it's all up to probably you know how they're aligned like you then it becomes a lot about the coaching um and that you have enough you have a lot of good players and you put them together and you're a good defense um so i you know i hope that's the case but i i'm i'm alarmed by by the yeah i mean i think all the reasons you're alarmed are completely valid uh (laughs) you know i mean even our our, our two best corners from last year are gone. Or our two best defensive backs from last year are gone, basically. Um, so, but I, I'm going to make... So, I'll make the case for why I think the Giants' defense could be surprisingly good. Okay. So why it's possible, okay? Um, all right. First of all, I, I do think... So, you have Bradbury, who, I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about the guy, but... I do know he spent six games primarily covering Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and also had a game where he was on DeAndre Hopkins a lot last year. And he allowed one touchdown. So, you know, he, he's still, he's not really considered a lockdown corner, but he's a good enough, like he's a, a quality NFL corner. Right. Now, our, 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 our guy, Corey Ballantine, is it Ballantine or Ballantine? You know, I don't know. I think it's knows? Valentine. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Right. It's, you know, it speaks volumes. We don't having that discussion. <laughs> right. We don't know, but we're terrified he almost got hurt. Right. <laughs> so, not knowing much about him, I did know this, but I just forgot because I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. But at the start of last season, he was shot, and his best friend was shot and killed. Right. That's true. You I know. So, I mean, that's how he started the year last year. Yeah. And then he starts playing, uh, he starts covering the slot because Grant Haley stinks. And this year they're having him play, you know, I think that they have different plans for who could cover guys in the slot. Either it's going to be Julian Love as the third safety or this guy Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. So he can go back to playing corner on the outside, which is easier than covering the slot. The slot guy lines up further inside, so he could go outside or inside and, you know, some crossing routes. That becomes a lot harder for defensive backs to cover. So we're taking Corey Ballantine and we're making his job easier. And, you know, he's got a year removed from being shot. Being shot. <laughs> no, I'm laughing too. Like, I remember when that happened and then it was like, the report was like, oh, he's, he's okay. That was not, you know, I was just like, okay, well then he'll be fine. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. Like, he was shot. Right. It was a very, probably, 
extremely traumatic event in his life you right. know and then like literally like he was like a late round pick so he had to like shake that off and like yeah. make the team you know it was like all right well you better i mean it's just like unbelievable the way like pro sports is just brutal I know. like watched a good friend die in front of you <laughs> while dealing with your own gunshot wound and it's like all right well shake it off <laughs> <laughs> so Let's say you and I were out together, and I was shot and killed, and you were right. shot, and you saw, right. and you were there for the whole thing. How many weeks would go by before you recorded the next Giants Among Men podcast right. episode? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Or, like, I'd be a little shaky at work, probably, yeah. for a period of time. Right. Right. I don't know if he'd bounce back, like, right away, you know? Instantly. Right. <laughs> So and he wasn't even bad last year, honestly. Yeah, right. No, he was actually surprisingly good. Yeah. So I mean, you know, no shootings this year. Right. Maybe, maybe he'll be okay. Uh, right. And then you know, Julian Love has also been getting some pretty good reviews in practice, not just from the coaches, but from a lot of the beat guys that are that are covering it. And he's another one where he didn't play a ton early on in the year, but then when Peppers went down. Um, you know, he starts playing safety a whole lot more. Uh, so from week 13 on, he was targeted 21 times and he allowed 72 yards and one touchdown. Now, you know, again, like the Giants are down in a lot of these games and, you know, some of these stats. But again, I sort of just feel like there are some guys that either didn't start playing till late in the year last year who are young, who may have been a little bit out of position at the time. Um, and now you're kind of getting these guys into the secondary, and I like what I'm reading about how that they're they're not using a depth chart exactly with the secondary. They're using um, it's it's not a depth chart. What were they calling it? They were calling it uh, uh, like um, oh an alignment chart. So certain plays the you know guys are lining up at safety, certain plays are lining up over the slot, certain plays are rotating over to corner and they're kind of becoming versatile which you know two things to take away from that are Patrick Graham talked about versatility when he got hired and you never know when these coaches get hired how much of what they're saying is just like football jargon like I'm just going to yeah. say football words at you and hope you buy it. But to see he said it, he seems to be following up on it in the practices. And uh, I was listening to uh, Warren Sharp was on the Ringer NFL podcast, and he was saying one of like one of the little things that he's going to try and look for this year in order to bet over unders and things like that is what coaches are going to training camp and doing things just a little bit different, uh, given the constraints of the co. Like everybody kind of has to follow the same rules with COVID, but what you sort of do with those with that time could be meaningful in the shortened preseason or in a different preseason. And I just think that you're reading some of the things that the Giants are doing that are really good, and I think Patrick Graham has been a part of that. And then, look, we don't have a great pass rush. That's clear, but we have two guys who sort of surprise people by having double-digit sack seasons. we got Marcus Golden back. He now has two 10-sack seasons. If we can get, like, 60 to 80% out of that from him this year, we have Kyler, Kyler Fackrell? Fackrell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he had 10 sacks two years ago playing for Graham. And look, the Leonard Williams thing was a disaster. I can't believe we traded away Odell Beckham to get Dexter Lawrence with the 17th pick. I, I, I mean, I have a lot of issues with that. But, you know, in this sort of defense, Patrick Graham in last year with the Dolphins, the Dolphins rushed only three pass rushers at the quarterback 
the they did that the second most of any team in the NFL last year, only rushing three. And if our three is Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, and Leonard Williams, who are Giants Twitter darlings for their pressure numbers or their like yeah. I didn't get a sack but almost got a sack numbers. Yeah, yeah. But if we can get those guys going, and if our secondary really is as weak as we're kind of afraid that it might be, if we're dropping eight guys in the coverage and we can do anything up the middle with those three guys, you know, it's a long shot. It's a lot of ifs, and we're depending on a lot of unknown quantities, and, uh, you know, but it's possible. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, young, promising guys, but they all have, it's like you need all of them to, like, work out. And it does, I do feel like, right, we're just in this period of, like, you you know, it is a lot of, like, have faith that Dave Gettleman has chosen wisely. Yeah. Like, as a, as a fans and as an organization, you're just, like, we're all just <laughs> hoping that he does know what he's doing. You know, it's like there's nothing else that we can do. But, like, they have a lot of players that they have brought in only recently. There's a lot of young talent. And it it's either going to be good or it's not. Um, and that's a scary place to be in. Right. A very scary. And probably, yeah. they're probably not going to be good. Right. But- <laughs> But right. Right. I see a path-ish. No, I hear you. Yeah, I, I, I can, you can see it coming together. I just, it's like, I could see it being bad. Too. Yeah. Now, do you think the offense is going to be good? And do you think that that'll be in spite of Jason Garrett? Where do you kind of, what do you kind of feel about the offense? I, I mean, I expect the offense to be very good. Um, you know, and whether it's like, you know, I, I don't really know... Like, I think Jason Garrett will probably be fine. It wouldn't have been my hire at all. I really dislike having to see his face on the sideline. Oh, it's brutal. Um, but I don't think he'll be, like, a problem. Um, you know, I think it's all going to be, is Daniel Jones good? Does he actually take a step? Or, you know, does he... Was it something of a mirage, you know, last year? he's He was so much better than I expected him to be. I hated that pick. I thought he was going to be a disaster. Uh, by the end of the year, really liked him. Um, you know, he has the fumble problem. You know, also, I just I feel like we should say this. It's kind of it's super weird. Like Eli Manning is not going to be on the Giants this year. Yeah, and I love Eli Manning like a family member. Um, I would welcome him into my home and give him <laughs> a giant hug. And he's a wonderful player. I love him. Love it is. It is such a relief. To not have Eli Manning. That's <laughs> so true. That's <laughs> so true. Is like, it is the most liberating player leaving a team I can remember in my entire life. I just, not having to go in with his whole legacy on the line, every pass, and yeah. feeling like everybody's going to shit all over him, every interception, it just every drop back is like. And hoping he's going to, you're just praying that he got some way to like retire with dignity, which he, you know, barely did. They got that one win against the Dolphins that he got to at least wave his hat and <laughs> not go out in total humiliation. But for the most part, it was three years of just like hell that yeah. we all were hoping he could find some more magic and it just wasn't there. And the team stunk. It wasn't totally his fault, but it wasn't not his fault either. <laughs> so we just have this, like young guy that we can just hope you know maybe he's going to be good and if he's not I don't have that much invested in Daniel Jones I'll turn on him in a second <laughs> right. you know, I'm excited about him but I will th- 
throw him in the trash if need be and not feel anything about it. <laughs> but, but Eli, there was no doing that. So it was just just torture the last three years. And I, it, that is probably the thing I'm most excited about this season is not having that around. And I hate to say that, but that's how I feel. No, it's so true. Watching Eli over the last three years is honestly a lot like parenting. Like, I, <laughs> I love you. You have brought me more joy than I even know how to tell you. But having to watch you gives me enormous anxiety. It's not going to be easy. Anything could go wrong at any moment. Right. I just almost can't handle it. Right. But if you shit your pants at an inopportune time again, <laughs> I am going to lose it. Right. <laughs> I can't watch this. It's too stressful. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very true. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with you completely. I'm happy to move on from that uh, as much as I did love him. And honestly, I, I don't know that I could handle Eli receiving play calls from Jason Garrett. Like, right. I would almost expect him to be like, you don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But, you know, just offensively, like, I think they have a, a lot of what you need. I would like one more um, good receiver, but I think – you know, Slayton, I have some optimism that he can be that guy. Like, I super wish Odell Beckham was on this team. And then I'd be like, <laughs> oh, God. I would be psyched about where we're at. Yeah. Because um, I think what they've, they've done what they need to do on the offensive line. I think they have the chance to have a good offensive line. Um, I really like Andrew Thomas' pick. I think that was a really good idea. Um, you know, we talked about this before. You, I think you mentioned it was like a cheeseburger you can't go wrong and i as we talked privately was saying i to me it's like a steakhouse meal it's like you know it's not the new fusion exciting <laughs> chef that everybody's talking about but man you're gonna you're you're putting in some money and it's gonna deliver you're gonna have a great meal you're gonna go home being like oh that was awesome like that's how i think i, I really like that pick i agree and i think they have you know i think evan engram if he can stay healthy will be very good um, Giants have done a good job usually of finding decent tight ends if he's not good. Um, so I think Saquon's going to be a monster this year. Yeah. I really think he was, you know, he just seems like the type of guy. He knows he didn't have a great year last year. and He seems like the type of lunatic who, like, won't let that stand. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's going to be really, really good this year. Um, and it all comes down to, like, if Daniel Jones is a little bit better than he was last year, like, they could be a really good offense. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think, you know, the imp improved offensive line, if Saquon has a really good year, that opens us up for a lot of play action, uh, and that's really going to help Jones a lot, and it's going to help everybody a lot. Yeah, and I like, you know, I like the receivers they have. I w again, like I said, I wish... I do feel like we're an Odell Beckham away from being like oh. a fantastic offense. But I like Golden Tate. I like Sterling Shepard. I do think Slayton can be a deep threat. And you put it all together, I think, you know, um, and we, there's the potential. We also got – we, we signed a few tight ends. You know, we're pretty tight end heavy. And I think what that could open up is – to allow Engram to be more of an outside receiver and not just have to line up like he's a tight end, which he doesn't do a whole lot of anyway. But it just sort of frees him up to be even more part of the receiving core. And, you know, he could be dangerous running deep and, and he could be a deep threat that uh, goes along with Slayton pretty well. Yeah, and I like, you know, the, I like the Deion Lewis signing. Like, I think yep. he's a nice backup running back. And, you know, 
he'll be you know that's the best like backup running back we've had in a long time yeah um <laughs> you know it's so funny because the whole running back conversation and i want to like take an hour talking about running back value but you know as like the whole nfl has moved away from like you know don't waste money or draft capital on um running backs you can get a running back anywhere and easily it's like well not the giants you know like <laughs> if there was ever a team that was like no we're gonna take the number two overall we're gonna draft the best running back of all time it's us yeah like it's... we have not that has not been the case and that's like that goes back a long time like we we kind of lucked into tiki barber but like yeah we've had a lot of <laughs> tough time we don't know how to find running backs generally <laughs> and you know we had like rashad jennings and you know the that guy from boss andre williams and um you know we have not been able to find them easily so to have two really good running backs i'm actually that's nice that's yeah. a real change of pace and um you know and i also think the running game is another thing where if you get into like the gettleman stuff again like we were talking about earlier right where his like his delivery makes him sound like such a jerk that you're so annoyed with it and I, it's almost like I don't even want to give him credit, but he, you know, he has talked about the importance of running the ball, which everybody laughed at because you look at the analytics yeah, yeah. and so on and so forth, right? But, you know, look, again, you look at the end of the year and the run that Tennessee made and the way kind of, you know, New England has gotten a lot of credit over the last couple of years for looking for market inefficiencies and as the rest of the league goes towards you know, a more pass-heavy approach, and then they're overpaying receivers and so forth. Belichick has gone the other way, and he's sort of made them a little bigger and better at running the ball. And, you know, just because other teams have had success with it, like, you know, just because Tennessee did it doesn't mean that us saying we want to run the ball is going to make us a good team at running the ball. But to give credit where credit is due, you know, again, listening to Warren Sharp, who's one of the, you know, top analytics guys out there, he was saying about how most teams' successful passes come on play action, which just makes sense. I mean, you're giving the defense something additional to worry about. You're doing a run fake. They have to respect it. And then when they do, it makes the passing windows bigger, which is going to help Jones, Like kind of like we just talked about. So one of the best things our offense could do is have a really good run game with Saquon, which would help our receivers and help Jones a ton. And I think we're kind of now built to do that. The offensive line is a little better. We have... Uh, Caden Smith at a tight end who, you know, he had a decent end of the year last year and he's a physical guy who can block. And we got that guy from San Francisco, Toy, Toy, Tylolo. I always say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's like huge. So again, like if we can run the ball well, it's really going to help Daniel Jones. Yeah. I, also, I mean, I just think running for first downs is like one of the most critical things. Like I, I totally get the, the whole, you know, you don't want to overpay for running backs and like, and, you know, we're not trying to be the Titans either. Like, we're not, you know, Saquon Barkley's a very different running back. Um, yeah. And we're not trying to just pound the ball on people. Like, we want to throw the ball. Um, so, but I, there's just nothing wrong with You know, I, I actually have a theory that the, the NFL should change the way they pay running backs so that they shouldn't be on your salary cap. Like, the league off the league itself should pay running backs out of, like, a separate pool of money. That's so interesting. That's true. They're not that valuable to the team. Like, you don't want to over... You can't pay your running back a lot and be a good team. 
because like you can find good ones on the cheap but they're so vital to the league like christian mccaffrey and saquon barkley like they're some of the best most exciting players in football like yeah i don't want saquon barkley like he deserves to be paid a lot of money even though yeah. you know what i mean like, he's very valuable whether, yeah like but like whether it's like his value to winning is not the same as his value to like the nfl you know what i mean like people yeah. tune in to watch that guy he's a star yeah He's super exciting, but if you pay him twenty million, you're gonna have a tough time like fielding a winning team. Yeah, but they're so critical to like the the uh, aesthetic value, like Zeke Elliott, these guys that it's like, you know, maybe there's some way where they're paid out of the cap, and I don't know, some way to get them more money because it's like not okay what's happening where like the most exciting talented players in the league are being are like treated like they're worthless <laughs> yeah no and that's so interesting because i've heard that about quarterbacks before like maybe you don't put a quarterback salary on the salary cap but i always think the running back is a is a better idea because you know those guys are it, it's like the value of a quarterback is easier to see the value of a running back in terms of what he should be paid and what his durability will be they're a lot shakier so i think it's even smarter to just look look let's not even try to do the mental gymnastics with those guys let's just separate pool right. we'll pay them i totally agree right. so let's transition now that we've spent 40 minutes on our beloved giants Right. Uh, which is not, you know, not surprising. Uh, no, but, yeah. and I think we'll keep up. We'll have probably have Giants heavy always, you know. Yeah, we get ready for the Giants here. I mean, why would it just, you know, if you're a sane person, that's what you're going to spend your time on anyway. <laughs> right. But, but we uh, we root for other franchises that have also been in the midst of coaching changes. What are your thoughts on Tom Thibodeau? Um, I would say my thoughts on Tom Thibodeau were sure. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, you know, like, I have no problem. I, you know, I think Tom Thibodeau has become, you know, people are too against him. And I think the, the arguments against him are, are pretty specious. Like, they don't really make sense. Um, my only gripe with him is, like, you know, he's had two stops and he did okay. They both kind of ended badly. Um I think he's a good, solid coach. I just would have liked... I'm always more of the, like, let's find a guy... You know, I would have liked to find our Eric Spolstra. Like, maybe mm -hmm. there's an, there's a Spurs assistant, or, a, you know, Kerr's got a guy who's everybody thinks is great. Like, and, and I know those are, like, generally harder to find, because, you know, you, who knows? But, you know, we did... We hired this Leon Rose character... And Worldwide West or whatever—is <laughs> um, that what it is? Is it Worldwide West? Yeah, it's Worldwide West. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, what an amazing world we live in. He's like a high-powered <laughs> executive. That's what people refer to him as. But um, you know, they're the 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 um, logic behind their hires was: oh, these guys know everybody. They are like, you know, the super agents. They have all the relationships. Like. You know, I could have hired Tom Thibodeau. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I could have taken a shot and been like, "Oh, he's pretty good reputation. He's had two relatively decent stint stints with two franchises." Like, you know, and his Minnesota stint looks a lot better in hindsight because they totally have been a disaster since he left. Um, but it also wasn't great. Like, it, it kind of fell apart there. You know, the whole Jimmy Butler. He's obviously a very difficult guy, but 
you know, he seemed like a Thibodeau guy, and yet, it, you know, he couldn't manage that at all. I don't know, you know. Um, so I'm not unexcited about it, but I'm not. They could have done a lot worse. I will give them that. Yeah, and I think honestly, I agree. I think that the and I think that your issue with the hire is the right issue to have with the hire. Is that it? Just would have been nice since we're like you know starting from scratch again. That you know if we started with a guy that we could truly own and he could really be ours, and you know that's what you're looking for in sports generally too, right? That's why we love Patrick Ewing so much. That's why we love Eli so much. You want a guy that's just yours. And if that's what you wanted in the new head coach, that's totally understandable, like to have our Spolstra and, and especially with a young team too, um, to feel like, you know, they all went on this upward trajectory together would make the success so much sweeter. So I think if you're going to have a reservation, that's the right one to have. I've been pretty annoyed with the two, the two myths about Thibodeau that I feel like are what people kind of go to as I don't like the hire. Um, you know, first is that he runs his players into the ground and he plays them too many minutes. Like, yeah, I get it. I know that that's fair ish. I don't think it's fair at all to put roses, uh, injuries on Thibodeau. Um, and I made sure to look this up, but so in Thibodeau's first year in Chicago, that was Rose's MVP year. Rose was 14th in the league in minutes per game with 37.4. That was the third most of point guards. So he was behind Darren Williams and John Wall. And he only had 0.2 more minutes a game than Rondo. And, you know, like, yeah, he got hurt. But, like, Luau Dang was getting the most minutes on that team. And he didn't have any major injuries post those years with Thibodeau. He played in the league until 2019. You know, like, Noah, I guess his body kind of broke down a little bit early. But... You know, he was like in the 60s in minutes per game in terms of like the whole league and his years playing with Thibodeau also. You know, I think he's just like he plays hard, that guy. I think whether Thibodeau is his coach or not, I think that guy's kind of a nut that plays hard. And then you get into, yes, in Minnesota, Butler, Wiggins, and uh, Towns all played a ton. But, I mean, who else did they have? And he got him to 47 wins and the Western Conference playoffs. So maybe he just did what he had to do to win by playing those guys a lot. Yeah, I don't put that much stock in that argument, to be honest. I don't think it had anything to do with Rose getting hurt. Like, Rose yeah. just got hurt. He had a catastrophic injury, and then, it, you know, he took him a long time to really get back, and he never really got back. And, you know, like, he's the MVP of the league. Like, you're going to play the MVP a lot of minutes. He's of course! Your best player. It's like, you can only find... You know, I could see where you would say you want to be a little more careful with Rose just because of... Like, he's not a LeBron. He's not built like a truck. His body type was such that, like, you maybe, you know, maybe he shouldn't have even been, like, that high. But, you know, you want to be a little more careful. But also, I think that, like, um, what we know about that stuff has really evolved, you know, and, and all this, like, you know, now lots of players, they manage their minutes in ways they never would have years ago. So, like, you know, I'm sure he's evolved along with that and and understands that more i still think that the whole thing is more of like um is is a little bit um fake you know the the, the, oh if you manage their minutes if you they don't take this day off like it's no no one really knows you know (laughs) like they're playing a really high impact sport you know you might just twist your knee and something happens like it's very difficult they're not um, all seeing the doctors. They don't really know how bodies are going to respond. Like, I, I don't 
I'm not that worried about that. Like, oh, he's going to come in here and ruin R.J. Barrett because he's going to play him 40 minutes a night, you know. I like, to- yeah, I totally agree. And I think the other, I, the other myth about Thibodeau is that, you know, that Kenny, At- Kenny Atkinson would have been the choice if we're going to develop our young players or that, you know, he's not a development coach or, or, or whatever. I mean, he takes over Chicago. Taj Gibson's in year two. Rose is in year three. Noah's in year four. In his second year there, they draft Jimmy Butler with the 30th overall pick. Like, I'd say he developed pretty nicely from being the 30th pick. Um, yeah. You know, and, and Nikola Mirotic was finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in 2015. And he was on the all-rookie team with Thibodeau. You know, <laughs> he doesn't have much of a career since then, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think he can't develop young guys. I don't think he... Is crazy overplaying people? I, you know, a lot of that stuff too happened at the beginning of the decade. Like, think about how much has changed since since that. You know, he was playing guys those minutes. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't have. I'm not, I actually think he'd probably be really good for young players. Like, yeah. you know, my I, I would. I'm more worried that like he's not built for the long haul just because he's so intense. And like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he really improves Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, and they're playing much better next year. And then I would be more worried by the time we're, like, actually a good team, maybe in two, three years, you know, everybody's, like, kind of worn out. And, you know, yeah. you know, like, it seemed like Towns started to tune him out. Like, they, they, they didn't get along. That's, like, a little worrying. He seems like a, you know, oh, he seems like a good kid. But, you know, he also it just seems like he's a little sensitive. <laughs> um, you know, Jimmy Butler couldn't tolerate him. <laughs> um, <laughs> just screaming at him all the time. So, you know. It maybe he just doesn't ha- it lacks that that thing yeah um but uh so i would be a little more worried that like he's one of these guys who you know four, if you, four or five years in it just starts to like turn into noise and and you know we don't have somebody that who can be our coach for like the next decade yeah um, but hey if we could if we could be a decent team for two or three years that would certainly be a vast improvement right so just watchable uh so I have no issues with with the hire. Like I, I totally get it. Um, I think um, of all the names out there, you know, it's it's the one that you can't really fault. Um, but it, I would have liked to see them try to find their own a, a diamond in the rough kind of guy who could be a coach. Like I would like to find somebody who could be your coach for a long time. Yeah. Um, build the whole thing out. Yeah. But. I think that's the right criticism to have of the hire, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, now the the biggest Knicks news, obviously, is we we got the eighth pick in the lottery drawing a few nights ago. But uh, I don't know. I'd kind of like to know a little bit more about what I think they're going to do uh, before we dive too much into that. Um, unless you have anything you want to say about that, should we move on to, to to baseball? Well, I will just say what's funny about the Knicks draft is how often they have the eighth pick (laughs) like we always seem to pick in like that range and we've been a disaster for so long and you know we picked kevin knox at nine we picked frank natilakina at eight um you know we had the eighth pick a number of other times um how often we don't have a first round pick is just unbelievable to me i think we were texting about this the other night like 
you know, you think of 2010 to 2020, we were absolute laughing stock that entire time. And, and four of those seasons, we did not even have a first round pick, let alone a top pick. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, I do think whatever the Knicks do, I think like I would really like to just see them pick a solid player and just get a guy who they can throw in this rotation who's, you know, does a few things well and can, they just need a contributing player. Um, they don't really need to hit a home run here. Just don't do anything stupid would be my, would be my advice for the Knicks. Although, you know, it's funny cause you, I agree that like, I don't really know who enough right now about like who will be available and what, how it'll all shake out to like really say anything. And I sort of just did what I kind of hate what a lot of people do that I've been reading about or hearing on TV. I saw some guy talking about the Knicks and was like, just take the best player available. <laughs> you know? uh, and I realized I basically just did the same version of that <laughs> because it's always like, okay, who's that? You know, like, <laughs> right. right. Of like, course do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> take the worst player on the board. <laughs> and you know, yeah, Take course. a guy who's just like, okay, we don't need the right. best one. We don't need to just take the median player available. No, yeah, of course, take the best. Who is that? That's the seat. That's the difficult part. Right. Like when and, you're eating like a family style dinner, and you're like, "I'll be polite. I won't take the biggest piece of the chicken parm. I'll just take like this other right. piece." You know. But no. Like anybody can say, "Take the best player available." Yeah. There's no secret to that. The hard part. It just it's funny because it's it's such a way to say something that you think is intelligent. But then give yourself the uh, benefit of when you when it comes to be to fruition that they have you've discovered they've taken the wrong person, you can then slam them for that. Absolutely, <laughs> and it is funny because that's precisely what the Knicks' problem is, right? Like we always end up picking eighth or you know, like somewhere around eighth, and of course, the further down in the draft you get, the harder it gets to identify who the best player is. Like it's usually yeah. pretty obvious at one, two, three. When you get to eight, it's like. I don't know who is the best player. And it's amazing that the Knicks for that, like across regimes seem to have a really difficult time identifying who the best player left is at eight. Uh, and almost pretty much never get it right. Never do. I mean, it's hard. It's like a brutal yeah. spot. Cause it's like, you can draft a hall of famer in that spot or like a guy who like never plays at all. Yeah. So it's like a really tricky, it's like the worst no man's land to be in. And, we're in it yeah. all the time. As a matter of fact, I think, you know, Frank, who we took at eighth a couple of years ago, is just a hilarious example of that, right? Because, you know, we, he, we missed out on Donovan Mitchell. We missed out on uh, – who else did we miss out on in that, in that year? Was Michael Porter Jr. that year? But either way, we miss no, out – Kevin Knox, but yeah. Oh, okay, right. So we miss out on, uh, on, on Donovan Mitchell, and we get Frank Nilakita, who, you know – Twitter has been trying to convince us is actually an amazing pick for a yeah. few years. And then I watched the Knicks games and what? You like, want to believe. I mean, he did finish last year strong. Like, I get, I like him. I would love to love him. But it's still a long way to go before he is the player of Twitter's dreams. I agree. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And what actually makes that one so painful is that we were linked to Donovan Mitchell by a lot of people prior to that draft. And, like, I remember Rick Pitino was like, they should draft him. He's unbelievable. Like, yeah. Um, so, so that one hurts because it it's not like that, – that's not total hindsight. There were a lot of people at the time who thought that could be the pick, should be the pick. So, yeah, 
that one stings. So now that now that you've sucked me in deeper into the Nick's vortex, who do like what do you like, and and what do you actually what do you think of uh, the Fred Van Fred Van Vliet talk? I like the Fred I I like the Fred Van Vliet idea. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. They need a point guard. Um, you know, the only thing I don't like about him. Well, no, I should, actually, this is probably a plus now that I'm really thinking about it. Um, you know, I would say it would be nice to have somebody who can create their own shot a little bit better and who can dr- who drives um, to the basket a little more. But I think that ultimately, I think R.J. Barrett is going to be um, the primary ball handler a lot of the time. So I think Van Fleet, who can hit outside shots and then run the offense like effective, efficiently, um, makes a lot of sense to me for the Knicks. Um, you know, it, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money for who he is. Like he's really more of like a role player on a really good team and you're going to pay him like he's kind of a star. Um, but you know, they really need somebody at that position who can like hit shots consistently and who's like an effective player. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I don't think just can't go into next season being like, maybe Dennis Smith jr. Is going to be good. And yeah. maybe Frank's take a leap. Like just, just, that's just no. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense. No, I, I agree. And I, I'm fine with overpaying him, honestly, at, at this point, just cause I do. And I do think like, I don't mind overpaying a guy who I think is the right player. And I think he's the right guy for all the reasons that you say, like, you know, I think that he's a guy who, who can create and he can kind of give RJ cleaner looks when, you know, RJ's foul, tr- uh, foul shooting is still an issue, which I know you're not as worried about as I am. But I think, you know, for a guy whose primary aspect of his game is getting to the rim and you can't hit those free throws to either complete the three-point play or make any points at all on a, on a given possession, I do think that's a problem. So I think Van Fleet, when Van Fleet has the ball he can create some cleaner looks for Barrett. And then when Barrett is primarily handling the ball, he's a spot-up shooter that he can fire the ball out to. So I think he's just the right guy to pay if we're going to overpay somebody. And then I think by getting Van Fleet and kind of having the point guard that we've been looking for for forever, it gives us a lot more options in the draft so that we're not going into it like we have to take a flawed point guard with the eighth pick and we can get more of a a 3-and-D kind of wing that you know, would help and fit well with Thibodeau and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. True. Right. Then you don't have to like take Cole Anthony and try to talk yourself into him. Yeah. Um, did you see, by the way, Cole Anthony, you know, he's Greg Anthony, Nick, great. Greg Anthony's son, Nick, great. (laughs) Greg Anthony just like flamed him on a, on a a, a show. He said he was (laughs) horrible last year. Um, he thought he was very bad. He was really bad last year. <laughs> um, and then he said, you know, it was a great learning experience for him, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, let me get the exact quote. But it was like, it was pretty, very funny to me. Um, anyway, yeah, he was very harsh on uh, on his boy. <laughs> It's <laughs> like these these players, man. These pro athletes are tough. They're psychos. He put his analyst hat on and just said he was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, points for integrity yeah, there, I guess. It was a good learning experience, and he thought he felt like he'll be better for it. Um, but I don't know. I just can't draft a guy who's shot thirty eight percent from the floor in college. Yeah, no way. Uh, there's you know there's a lot of reasons for that. They said that team around him wasn't very good and. 
all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, Van Van Bleet. I don't know. I don't know how you say his name. Um, and uh, yeah, solidifies a spot they haven't had solidified in a really long time. And uh, you know, you have to pay him a lot, but it's not like you have to give him like a ten year, you know, yeah. ridiculous contract. Right. Uh, I don't. I mean, I wonder if he wants to come play for us. I, you know. <laughs> That's a great question. Nobody seems to. So I mean. Right, nobody totally valid. Everybody seems to assume that we can just offer him a lot of money. He seems to have a pretty good situation up there. Right. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know either. Um, That's I, right. I hope we can get him. Now right. I'm saying it. Yeah, exactly that, right. Uh, right. Probably. It's totally flipped to, from do we want Fred Flamfleet to like, <laughs> oh my god, we're not going to get him. What are, right. what are you going to do? Yeah, want us. Right. <laughs> Which is really just like the perfect way to end a Nick segment. It's right, just to right. go through that like, we arc. Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. His name I think we've been mispronouncing. Right. <laughs> right. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast, I guess. Right. Tell us. No, oh. thanks. All right. Well, I think we're, we're running out of time. Uh, should we talk some quick baseball here? Sure. We'll close with a, with a short baseball segment. Yeah. Which will be perfect because I've barely know what's happening <laughs> right well i do know that the mets and yankees did not get to play this weekend because of the coronavirus um right. so the mets didn't get a chance to play the the yankees triple a squad because that's pretty much what we're left with with all the injuries that the yankees are experiencing it is weird uh, it's two years in a row um you know i think what's the what was challenging though probably for the yankees or being a yankee fan this year is because of the expanded playoffs like, the Yankees are getting into the playoffs. They're a good team. Right. Uh, so, it's just like, you know, once... And the season's short, so they've already gotten off to a good enough start that you can pretty much bank on the fact they're going to be there. And then, you know, they'll be really dangerous once that actually happens. Um, you know, if they get Paxton back in time for the playoffs, like, you know, they have Garrett Cole, like... Um, as long as Judge is healthy, like, you know, Torres will probably be back. Um, so if there was ever a season where, like, you could survive some injuries, as long as you get guys healthy for the playoffs that you're almost certainly going to be in, like, this is probably the one. Right. I would, And I definitely agree with all that. Just hopefully everybody comes back in time, you know? Right. I mean, I don't know why everybody keeps going down. You know, the thing about it, it'd be, it, like, we need Paxton back. We do need him. But if you take Cole out of the equation... Between Paxton, Montgomery, Tanaka, and Hap, they've had 16 combined starts out of the 25 games. And of all those guys, only two of those 16 starts have been considered quality starts. Yeah. You know, and I know the Yankees' bullpen is good, but that's also going to have to get better no matter how many hitters we have healthy again. That's true. That's a big problem. They don't have a very deep rotation. Yeah. Um, but they do have a great lineup. Yeah. Um, the Yankees, man, how do they always, like find these guys out of nowhere who just turn into awesome players for them um you know like it's just unbelievable how consistently they do that yeah i was i read somebody tweeted i can't remember who it was i'm sorry i can't give them credit but um they tweeted like remember when we all wanted the yankees to sign manny machado two years ago and it turns out Gio Urshela is better than him right (laughs) like you know it is like nuts like what in the world where did Gio Urshela come from Right. Where did he come from? Um, and uh, who's the other guy who's been awesome who came out of... Oh, uh, LeMayhew. Yep, LeMayhew. Like, 
is like, you know, the new um, uh, Paul O'Neill kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to say Urshela is Manny Machado level, but no, he right. has been, like, really good. And, um, like, they're just ability to find these guys so often where they sign a guy who you're like, oh, yeah, he's okay. And then he's just a stud. <laughs> yeah. Like Luke Voigt has uh, 10 homers now. and Yeah. Another yeah. guy. Right. Yeah. And the Mets never, never <laughs> do that. <laughs> never. Fi- you know, they, it's a so opposite approach. Well, I mean, look, the Yankees have the, also the, endless resources so they can do it all, right? They can yeah. they can go out and they can get Giancarlo Stanton and they can find the diamond in the rough. So they get the guy who's the can't miss and they pay him a zillion dollars and they find a LeMahieu and Urshela. Whereas the Mets are always trying to find a big-name player and hope that he rebounds. So we have Rick Porcello, and it's yeah. like, okay, maybe he's going to find his old magic, and no, he stinks. You know, <laughs> and, right, uh, actually, right. Bobby Cano is actually having a great year. Um, so that's, you know, bad example now, but, you know, it looked like last year, oh, yep. we'll trade for Cano, and, um, you know, they're always trying to do that, and it never works out. And and then they never go and spend on the the actual big name guy. They just never go like, just get the freaking guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so you know this Mets team is like super frustrating. Where they have a lot of nice things, um, you know. They have Alonzo McNeil's been hurt, which really stinks. Um, but they have some good players. Degrom is just unbelievable. Um, you know, it's so weird to talk about a bargain. The Mets got what, what the contract they got Degrom to agree to is like. What's ridiculous. his contract? You know, it's like more in the like hundred million range when you think about what the Yankees just gave to Garrett Cole. Yeah, you know, Degrom is every bit as good, if not better. Like Degrom is, you know, turning into where you're like wondering if you're watching like the best pitcher you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he's become that good, but you know they have a lot of good hitters. But it's just this team that like, if they just invested you know in uh, splurged on a few key pieces like why let zach wheeler go over money to a division rival like you know their big free agent move was Dellen batansis who is a shell of himself yeah. you know and like, he was a great player but relievers one often fall off quickly and he's coming off some major injuries <laughs> i mean he Della Batansis, who was so good for the Yankees. Yeah. Like the, the slop he is throwing up <laughs> the plate out. Like, you can't even believe it. <laughs> just like hanging sliders that just, I mean, it's like, oh my, you feel bad for him. His fastball is at like 94 miles an hour. Oof. Um, I mean, just painful to watch him pitch right now. So, you know. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like. You know, the season is amazing. It's almost like halfway over, and the big thing is just yeah. going to be are they even going to be able to get it to the finish line? But if I'm the Yankees, it's like there's some signs of that you're worried about, but ultimately they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to have one of the better teams in it, hopefully. And the Mets are have at least clawed back to where I feel compelled to watch the rest of their season. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, you know, at least. Uh, in the conversation, and especially with the expanded playoffs, um, 
they have a shot. So, but they, you know, they just they're missing pieces that they should have. That's what's frustrating about watching them. Right. You know, I'm all for it too. I'm all for expanded playoffs. Playoffs are fun. Uh, they're exciting. You know, uh, they're really the best part of every sport, right? But then it, it, it does create this scenario where, like, right, if you're a Mets fan, well, I guess baseball's different because baseball, the draft isn't as, I don't know, isn't as tied to how your season ends as much as it is with basketball and football, or at least it's not at, least at like, the forefront of everybody's mind in that way. So Yeah, well, it's just not a thing. I mean, because in baseball, you draft an 18-year-old, and he plays in the minors for four years. Right. And then, he, you know, then you see him. So it's just not doesn't have the immediacy of the other sports, right? And so that's why I guess with baseball, like you know, when you watch football or you watch uh, uh, basketball, you know, you think to yourself, "Do I want my team to just get swept in the first round of the playoffs, or do I want them in the lottery, like in the mix for one of the top players?" You know, with the ba- with baseball, I guess like you don't have that sort of internal struggle, right? Like, let's hope the Mets make the playoffs so that they're just playing more and that you get to watch them longer. And they well, have a and also in baseball, because it's so random. You know, getting in the playoffs gives you a really good chance to win it all. Like, yeah. whereas the NBA, if you're the eighth seed, yeah. you're going home immediately, right. um, and probably in like four ass kickings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I lo- I like. The, I'm I'm hoping though they don't. I'm sure they will because it's just more money. But I would have liked. Like, I I think the expanded playoffs make sense this year because it's so weird yeah. and it's a shortened season. I would I would I was kind of hoping they would just go back. Um, I think they had enough teams in there already. Um, but, you know, yeah, play, more playoffs are more money, and so it's probably here to stay. Yeah. Um, but I do think I, – I would have preferred that they, they didn't do that. Yeah. But I get it this year. Yeah, a very strange year. Do we, do we watch the baseball playoffs this year? Do we have them? Do they exist? Yeah. Are they played? I you know I would have I would have said yes like a few days ago and then you know this subway series getting canceled because of the coronavirus where it's just like the timeline is getting really tight where like they're trying to fit in so many games um, I mean it's it's hilarious how the way they're just coming up with rules on the fly like they're playing seven inning double headers because it's just like we got to get the games in yeah or whatever right uh, extra innings uh, you put a guy in second. <laughs> You know, which I love that rule, by the way. Me too. Uh, yeah. You know, I used to be like one of these idiot um, traditionalists with baseball, and I was like against the DH. And, you know, I, my first reaction when they even when they said, um, you know, you didn't have to throw four pitches when you intentionally walked anymore. They they just put you on. You can just say, we're walking them, and they, yeah. the guy walks first base. And I remember that season when they announced they were going to do that, I was like, oh, that's terrible. You know, things can happen. The guy throws it. And then the first time that that took place where they said to the guy, you're getting walked, and he just – and I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe we've been suffering from right. watching those four stupid pitches this whole time. Like, what a – like, what a <laughs> – why did we do that to ourselves? Yeah, just I'm walking them. Just get get it over with. It's so true. Why do we have to throw four stupid pitches? So it's like same thing with the DH where it was like, no, we need that strategy. And you're like, no. First time that there were two men on in a Mets game with two outs – and the, I realized that the pitcher was not coming up to ruin it. It was like heaven. <laughs> right, Never exactly. Going back. Right, why yeah, would you like want that? 17 inning games on a Wednesday 
when you're just trying to watch one game is a super annoying and not worth it. So yeah, put the guy on second and let's get this thing. Let's move on to tomorrow. Right. And yeah. We're excited. I, to, I mean, don't do it in the playoffs, but it, I think it's great. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, this could end up being good. I, yeah, I think though the coronavirus thing, I was very like, I don't know. Like I knew it was happening. You were having outbreaks with the Marlins and then with the Cardinals and so forth. And I was really like, if it doesn't hit New York, I think we're charging forward no matter what. And then it hit New York. Yeah. So. I do think they're really motivated to just just do whatever they can to just get through it. it. Yeah. So, yeah. And it sounds like the Mets were able to contain it a little bit. But it is weird. I mean, it's wild. Like, it's just like you can just have 10 guys get it one day and you're like, well, now we have a serious problem. And if anybody dies, you know, you're going to have a disaster on your hands. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's... uh. It's the it's flu. Pretty, it's, it's, the, it's the flu. <laughs> it's the flu. It's the flu. We've only lost a few thousand people. So. <laughs> right. In five months. I mean, months. come on. It's not that big a deal. On a per All month right. basis. That's... Yeah. Well, maybe we end on that note. And yeah. We tell everybody, wear your masks. Yeah. And uh, stay safe. Yeah. Stay sane. <laughs> right. Stay safe. Stay sane. Uh, keep coming back to us, and we'll help you do that, sort of. Yeah, really. we'll help you when you get a break from your children. You can go for a quick walk around the block and listen to us, and your children won't be there. And <laughs> 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 that'll be the secret. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, Scott. I've spent a lot of time with my children yeah. over this whole period, <laughs> um, and it's a precious gift to see them. <laughs> I love You know, is it? It is. It's a gift. It's what a gift this has been to see them grow up, their young faces, and yet what a terrible daily nightmare. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's also been in equal measure. Um, yeah, just as was said with Eli, it's I'm getting right. I get no more pleasure in my life from anything but that, and yet also no more terror, fear, yeah. you know, frustration, anxiety, same thing. That's horrifying. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Uh, we finally did it, and uh, we'll hopefully talk. This, is, this is the start of a new beginning of the Giants Among Men podcast. I believe it is. We'll see everybody next week. All righty. All right.